Chapter Twenty Five of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter Twenty Five. Talent found a taxi on the stand and drove at once to Charles Street. The butler took his hat and stick and conducted him into the spacious drawing room upon the first floor. Here he received a shock. The most natural thing in the world had happened, but an event which he had never even taken into his calculation. There were half a dozen other callers, all, save one, women. Jane saw his momentary look of consternation, but was powerless to send him even an answering message of sympathy. She held out her hand and welcomed him with a smile. "'This is perfectly charming of you, Mr. Tallent,' she said. "'I know how busy you must be in the afternoons, but I am afraid I am old-fashioned enough to like my men-friends to sometimes forget even the affairs of the nation. You know my sister, I think, Lady Alice Mountgarden. Aunt, may I present Mr. Tallent, the Countess of Summerham, Mrs. Ward Levitt, Lady English, oh, and Colonel Falsbrook. Tallent made the best of a very disappointing situation. He exchanged bows with his new acquaintances, declined tea, and was at once taken possession of by Lady Summerham, a formidable-looking person in tortoise-shell rimmed spectacles with a rasping voice and a judicial air. So you are the Mr. Talent, she began, who Summerham tells me has achieved the impossible? Upon the face of it, Talent rejoined with a smile, your husband is proved guilty of an exaggeration. Poor Henry, his wife sighed, he does get a little hysterical about politics nowadays. What he says is that you are in a fair way to form a coherent and united political party out of the various factions of labor, a thing which a little time ago no one thought possible. Talent promptly disclaimed the achievement. Stephen Dartrey is the man who did that, he declared. I only joined the Democrats a few months ago. But you are their leader, Lady Alice put in. Only in the House of Commons, Talent replied. Dartrey is the leader of the party. Summerham says that Dartrey is a dreamer, the Countess went on, that you are the man of affairs and the actual head of them all. Your husband magnifies my position, Talent assured her. Mrs. Ward Levitt, the wife of a millionaire and a woman of vogue, leaned forward and addressed him. Do set my mind at rest, Mr. Talent, she begged. Are you going to break up our homes and divide our estates amongst the poor? Is there going to be a revolution? Lady English asked eagerly. And is it true that you are in league with all the Bolshevists on the continent? Talent masked his irritation and answered with a smile. Civil war, he declared, commences tomorrow. Everyone with a title is to be interned in an asylum all country houses are to be turned into sanitariums and all estates will be confiscated the tiresome man won't tell us anything lady alice sighed of course he won't mrs ward levitt observed you can't announce a revolution beforehand truthfully if there is a revolution within the next fifteen years talent said i think it will probably be on behalf of the disenfranchised aristocracy who want the vote back again lady english and mrs levitt found something else to talk about between themselves lady summerham however had no intention of letting talent escape 
you are a neighbor of my niece in devonshire i believe she asked he admitted the fact monosyllabically he was supremely uncomfortable and it seemed to him that jane who was conducting an apparently entertaining conversation with colonel falsbrook might have done something to rescue him my niece has very broad ideas lady summerham went on some of her fellow landowners in devonshire are very much annoyed with the way she has been getting rid of her property lady jane he pronounced dryly is in my opinion very wise she is anticipating the legislation to come which will inevitably restore the land to the people from whom in most cases it was stolen well my husband gave two hundred thousand pounds of good hard-earned money for stoughton where we live mrs ward levitt intervened so far as i know the money wasn't stolen from anybody and i should say that the robbery would begin if the socialists or whatever they call themselves tried to take it away from us to distribute amongst their followers what do you think mr tallant my husband as i dare say you know is a banker and a very hard-working man i agree with you he replied one of the pleasing features of the axioms of socialism adopted by the democratic party is that it respects the rights of the wealthy as well as the rights of the poor man the democrats may in fact they most certainly will legislate to prevent the hoarding of wealth or to have it handed down to unborn generations but i can assure you that it does not propose to interfere with the ethics of mim and tung i wish i could make out what it's all about lady alice murmured couldn't you give a drawing-room lecture mr tallant and tell us the banker's wife suggested i am unfortunately a little short of time for such missionary enterprise tallant replied with unappreciated sarcasm dartrey's volume on socialism in our daily life will tell you all about it far too dry she sighed i tried to read it but never got past the first half-dozen pages some day tallente observed coolly it may be worth your while all of you to try and master the mental inertia which makes thought a labour the application which makes a moderately good bridge player should be sufficient otherwise you may find yourselves living in an altered state of society without any reasonable idea as to how you got there mrs ward levitt turned to her hostess lady jane she begged come and rescue us please we are being scolded colonel falsbrook we need a man to protect us mr tallente is threatening us with terrible things we're getting what we asked for lady alice put in quickly colonel falsbrook caressed for a moment a somewhat scanty moustache he was a man of early middle age with a high forehead an aquiline nose and a somewhat vague expression i'm afraid my protection wouldn't be much use to you he said regarding talent with mild interest i happen to be one of the few surviving tories i imagine that mr talent's opinions and mine are so far apart that even argument would be impossible talent acquiesced smiling besides which i never argue outside the house he added you should stand for parliament colonel fosbrook and let us hear once more the athanasian creed of politics all opposition is wholesome colonel fosbrook glared the fact that he had three times stood for parliament and three times been defeated was one of the mortifications of his life he made his adieu to jane and departed 
and to tallente's joy a break-up of the party seemed imminent mrs lord levitt drifted out and lady english followed suit lady summerham also rose to her feet but after a glance at tallente sat down again my dear jane she insisted you must dine with us to-night you haven't been here long enough to have any engagements and it always puts your uncle in such a good temper to hear that you are coming jane shook her head sorry aunt she regretted but i am dining with the temperleys i met diana in bond street this morning thursday then i am keeping thursday for a friend saturday i am free saturday we are going into the country her aunt said a little ungraciously heaven knows what for your uncle hates shooting and always catches cold if he gets his feet wet tallente unwillingly held out his hand to his hostess he seemed to have no alternative but to make his adieu jane walked with him towards the door i am horribly disappointed he confessed under his breath she smiled a little deprecatingly i couldn't help having people here could i i suppose not he answered with masculine unreasonableness i only know that i wanted to see you alone men are such schoolboys she murmured tolerantly even you i must see my friends mustn't i when they know that i am here and call about that friend on thursday night he went on i am waiting to hear from him she answered whether he prefers to dine here or to take me out his ill-humour vanished and with it some of his stiffness of bearing his farewell bow from the door to lady summerham was distinguished with a new affability if we may be alone he said softly i should like to come here nevertheless his visit left him a little disturbed perhaps a little irritable with all the dominant selfishness which is part of a man's love he had spent every waking leisure moment since their last meeting in a world peopled by jane and himself alone a world in which any other would have been an intruder his eagerly anticipated visit to her had brought him sharply up against the commonplace facts of their day-by-day -day existence he began to realize that she was without the liberty accorded to his sex or as to such women as nora miall whose emancipation was complete jane's way through life was guarded by a hundred irritating conventions he began to doubt even whether she realized the full import of what had happened between them there was nothing gross about his love not even a speculation in his mind as to its ultimate conclusion he was immersed in a wave of sentimentality he wanted her by his side free from any restraint he wanted the joy of her presence more of those soft almost reluctant kisses the mute obedience of her nature to the sweet and natural impulse of her love of the inevitable end of these things he never thought he was like a schoolboy in love for the first time his desires led him no further than the mystic joy of her presence the sweet passionless content of propinquity for the time the rest lay somewhere in a world of golden promise the sole right that he burned to claim was the right to have her continually by his side in the moments when he was freed from his work and even with the prospect of the following night before him he chafed a little as he reflected that until then he must stand aside and let others claim her in a fit of restlessness he abandoned his usual table in the house of commons grill-room and dined instead at the sheridan club 
where he drank a great deal of champagne and absorbed with ready appreciation and amusement the philosophy of the man of pleasure this was one of the impulses which kept his nature pliant even in the midst of these days of crisis End of chapter twenty five